Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, what a great song to lead into opening the Word of God. Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you. And in my mind, I think, yeah, I, I, earlier when they were practicing, I said, no, it's every minute. And I said, no, wait a minute. It's every moment, right? An awareness of our need for him. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here. It's always, I always feel so privileged to be able to open up the word and, and, and talk with you guys about it. Uh, God has given us an amazing thing in his word. And uh, we want our hearts to be open and ready to respond to him in it. Let me ask you a question. How many of you would say, I love my auto mechanic? (laughs) A bunch of you, good, you know. If your spouse, (laughs) if your spouse is the one who takes care of your car, I hope you raised your hand, right? But there is this strange relationship with an auto mechanic, you know, because, I mean, they, you know, they take care of our cars, they hopefully make them run right again, and then they charge us a lot of money. That's the, 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 the downside to that, but uh, I really, I really, I wouldn't say I love him, except as a human being, but I have an auto mechanic that I really, really like, okay? Uh, I trust him. He does a good job. Um, he's always fixed the cars, and he's, he always tells me everything that's up with it. In fact, sometimes he tells me more than I want to know. And uh, he, he'll show me, he'll actually take me out and show me sometimes what's going on, okay? And so it's nice to have someone working on your car that you feel that way about, isn't it? Because if you ever had taken the car to the shop and they told you it needed to be done, it was all done, you go, boy, I don't know. I think I got taken. Anybody ever feel like you might have got, yeah. Um, and so one of the things that, that my mechanic does for me that is, is just really helpful is he will say, okay, so we're going to do this job. And, and here's what it's gonna cost, here's the labor, here's the parts, and, the, and he, he'll say, now, at some point, probably in the near future, you're also going to, you're probably gonna to have to do this maintenance in this car, because he knows the car, and he says, this is going to be coming up. And while I'm doing this job, I've already done all the labor around getting to that job. And so if you decide to go ahead and do that job now, it's gonna save you a couple hours labor because I won't charge you both. I mean, he could just charge you both, but he says, I won't. In other words, he doesn't double up on the labor. And so he'll tell me it just makes sense. If you think you're gonna do that, it makes sense to do it now, okay? And so I appreciate that. And whenever I can, I follow, follow that advice if I'm able to financially at the moment. But it just makes sense. You know, there are a lot of things in life that we do that way because it what? It just makes sense to do it that way. Well, there's some things in our Christian life that are the same way, and we're gonna see that in the Word today. Now, we're in the book of Colossians and and focus on this idea that life is all about Christ. All of life is about Him. Uh, In chapter one, we saw that when we came to Christ, we got more than we expected, didn't we? and better than we knew. In Christ, so many things, so awesome, makes such a huge difference in our life. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, Paul's concern for his readers and for us that we would get sidetracked from Christ, that we would get sidetracked into other things that would draw us away from what God has for us in Christ. Not good for us, doesn't honor and glorify the Lord. 
All right? And of course, last week we were snowed out and we had a conversation about some of these things that we've been talking about. But today we want to look at the scripture and see that there are some things that it just makes sense. It just makes sense. So let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and I would encourage you to, to follow along in the Bible if you don't have your own Bible there with you. Um, we have some under the chairs there, and we encourage you to follow along. We're going to start on page 1354. Chapter 3. All right, let me just read down through these verses, and then we'll go back and talk about them. He says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And I chuckle at this thinking. Aren't you glad that this is not an instruction to pastors for how they deal with the members of their church? <laughs> hey, you're being a problem. Okay, off with the head. <laughs> it's not talking about this. It's talking about those things that are connected with us, our members, things that are part of our lives, and in this case ought not to be. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when ye lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, talking about your old nature before you came to Christ, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, and was made like Jesus where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And I, I, I would share, I experienced that this morning as we worshiped. The Lord very clearly brought something to my mind based on what we were singing together. Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All right, so let's go back here. The beginning of the chapter, he says, if then, you were raised with Christ, 
Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so there's a truth here and we're gonna talk about it for a little bit and that is this, that if you have genuinely, genuinely received Christ as Savior, Jesus, you are inseparably united with Jesus. You are inseparably united with him. And um, I think that when we think about the gospel, it is easy for it to almost become academic, uh, intellectual knowledge and about what happened and somehow it's, it, it affects us but it isn't it's separate from us, because okay, we, we know the story, right? That we've all sinned. We've all sinned against the holy God. None of us have lived the way that the Bible says we ought to live. We've all failed. God is a holy God, he judges sin. And, and we have a spiritual deadness within us before we come to Christ. And, and if we die in that condition, we experience that spiritual deadness forever in hell, separated from God. We understand Jesus rose from, or died for our sins, rose from the dead, right? And that if we place our faith in him, what happens? What happens to all of our sins? What's he do? What's he do? I'm really asking you. What does he do with our sins if we place our faith in him? Forgives them, right? How many of them? All of them. He forgives all of our sins, that's right. And, and we get eternal life, and this life is over. We go to heaven to be with him. And then we do say, I always say, and then he moves in. He moves in and takes up residence. But it's still real easy for us to kind of think of that as, oh, that's all happened out here. But what I want you to understand, what we see here in these verses, is that it's more than that. When we receive Christ as Savior, the Bible says that somehow, some way, we become inseparably united with him. Our lives become intertwined with his. And so that our identity is different now. We're not the same people we used to be. We still have the same mind, same memories that have to be changed, same bodies. Sometimes I wish that got, that got changed a little bit, right, when we came to Christ. <laughs> but, um, so let's just look at the words here. If then you were raised with Christ. Well, what's he talking about, raised with Christ? I haven't even died yet, right? That's kind of what we think, okay? He talks about raised with Christ uh, down in uh, verse three, for you died and your life is hidden with God in Christ. You are hidden with Christ in God, you died. Um, talking about where Christ is, when he comes, you're going to appear with him. What's the deal? Well, if we go and look in Romans six, especially Romans six, but Romans seven, Romans eight, it just becomes so clear that when we became followers of Christ, that moment when we finally said, okay, God, I, I get it, I, I trust you, I receive Christ, at that very moment, somehow or other, uh, God takes us and puts us into Jesus in a way that we will never ever be separated again. And that's not just someday in the future we will never ever be separated again, we were never ever separated now. You get that? And so somehow, that means that Jesus' death, we died with him. Oh, what does that mean? I, you know, it's kind of hard. This is, these are spiritual realities. And by the way, sometimes we think of spiritual things as fuzzy, float in the air kinds of things. But spiritual truth is every bit as real as anything you've ever experienced in this life, okay? It's every bit as real. In fact, I would say to you that it's more real. This life is fleeting. The spiritual truths are forever. And so he united us 
with Jesus. Somehow his death becomes our death. And, and Romans chapter six tells us that, and seven says dead people don't sin. Dead people aren't tempted to sin. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. <laughs> right, I mean, but that's the reality. People who have you know, died, they don't. And he says in a spirit sense, we, also, we have died. And therefore, that's why the power of sin, the controlling power of sin over us has been broken because our, we died with Christ, but we didn't just die, we also rose with him. And so now we have a new life, a new life deep down inside. It's like, a, it's like, a, uh, it's like spiritually, before you came to Christ, if you can imagine a furnace with no flame, right? No flame, no heat, no life, right? But when Jesus came in, all of a sudden, boom. Deep down inside, the flame was lit. And it will never go out. And you have that life in you now. So you have a new life that, that burns and, and makes a difference inside of you and, and you know, begins to challenge you. We'll talk more about that uh, later this morning. Now, even if you really want to, you want to stretch your brain today? You want to stretch it? Stretch your mind a little bit? Or how many of you say, no, I'd rather just take a nap while you talk about this? <laughs> okay, so um, the Bible tells, it says it over in Ephesians, and it, it sort of references it here. It talks about where Christ is, where Christ is. Where is Christ now? Seated at the right hand of the Father, it tells us, okay? Um, Ephesians chapter two tells us that we are right now, if we receive Christ, say we are right now seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We're seated there. How is that? What's well, a spiritual truth? It's because, guess what? When you came to Christ, what happened? You became so united and so intertwined with him that wherever he is, guess what? In a spiritual sense, you are there with him. And, and, and you know, what does that mean to us? I, I don't quite know how to explain what that means. I'm not sure I really grasp it all, but I do get this sense. And try to take the personalities out of this example, okay? But I get the sense of, uh, you know, in the um, cabinet meetings of our president, I, and I don't know, does Mike Pence sit next to the president? Does the vice president sit next to the president? Oh, we're a real literate bunch politically, aren't we? <laughs> I think he does, okay? I'm not sure, but I think he does. And it'd be like this, that the vice president, Mike Pence, contacted you and said, listen, I want you to come and I just want you to be with me there. While we're talking about all this and we're doing this, just be with me there. Would that be a privilege? Would that be amazing? You know, and so this is what God, Jesus does with us. He's seated at the right hand of his Father and we are somehow or rather seated there with him. This means that when he returns in his glory, somehow or rather we are there with him. Okay, I mean all this. So we, when we come to Christ, we are inseparably united with Jesus. And I would go back to chapter one and say that there's, when we understand this, we're gonna continue to find that that is more than we knew and better than we expected as we grow in our understanding of these things. But because we are inseparably united with Jesus, there are a bunch of things that just make sense. Okay, make sense. You start from there, they make sense. So let's, let's look at our passage and see what those things are. All right, so verse three, he says, if then you were raised with Christ, okay, so you've been united. Seek those things which are above. It just makes sense 
to put your whole heart into your relationship with Jesus. And the reason I say your heart here is because when we go through the, the Bible and look and we find this idea of seeking God or, or seeking the things of God, um, so many times the heart is connected with that. The heart is connected with that. And so when Paul here says, seek those things which are above, I believe he's talking about putting our whole heart into our relationship with him. We've been inseparably united with him, and so let's put our whole heart into this relationship that we have with him. And that some of the, the words used in the Greek language and then the Hebrew words that are connected with that give us this idea. It's tilted upward. And so the idea is we ought to have a heart that's tilted upward toward the Lord, right? So putting your whole heart into this relationship. Now, I want you to think, if, if you're here today and, and you're still a teenager, I want you to think about this. At some point, you know, you, you will probably date somebody who's very special to you. You'll be dating them. Um, if, or maybe you get older, you get, you're engaged, or, or let's say you're already married, so you're married to someone. What if you put your heart into that relationship at the same level you're putting your heart into your relationship with the Lord? How healthy would your marriage be? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if your heart is in your relationship with the Lord, how much time are you spending with him in the word? Listening to him, talking with him, doing things with him, being alert to his presence in your life. If you walk through life with your spouse or your fiance or your boyfriend, girlfriend, and you paid the same kind of attention, what would happen to that relationship? Um, and if anything, I would say that the point is, is that our relationship with Christ, we ought to be more so with our heart than any human relationship. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm kind of lost you there because I don't think I explained that example well. But the idea is I'm just trying to get you to think of what it means to put your heart into a relationship. Um, all right. Um, second thing here, let's look at verse, verse two here. So he said, seek those things. The idea of putting your whole heart in. Second thing, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Uh, and he, it doesn't mean that we don't have things to think about on earth. You do. You do. Uh, I'm not going to ask a question, but how many of you thought about that it would be a good idea that if I took a shower today before I came to be with people? <laughs> We're really glad you did. Right? There are things, on earth, but he isn't talking about that. But he's talking about what is the focus of your mind? What is the focus of your mind? He says the focus of your mind needs to be on your relationship with Jesus and, and what that means in your life. It just makes sense. If you are inseparably united with him, it makes sense that you would focus your mind on that relationship and what does it mean in my life? And, and it's the same idea. Again, it's an upward tilted mind. An upward tilted mind. We, we think about the Lord first. It's the starting point for all of your thinking and therefore of all of your living. Uh, this is, we're really talking about what interprets what, what you start with and then interpret everything else from, okay? Uh, do you start with your relationship with Christ and then interpret all the rest of your life accordingly or do you have your life and then you try to interpret Christ in light of your life? See, that's backwards. No, no, we focus on 
uh, the Lord and what his relationship means with us in our lives. So maybe we could uh, we this, describe this idea of a starting point, this focus as, as our very identity, who we are. And what does that mean in our lives as Christians, inseparably united with the Lord? That's who I am. So uh, I'm not gonna pick, I'm not picking on this uh, career or anything, but let's just think. When we are doing this, when we are focusing our mind on a relationship with Jesus and what it means in our lives, someone who's a school teacher, okay, and if we have any school teachers today, like I said, I'm not picking on school teachers. School teachers are uh, such an important uh, position. But are you a school teacher who also is a Christian? Or are you a Christian that God has made you, given the opportunity to be a school teacher? And I think it's that second one is where we need to live from. In other words, if, if I see myself first as a school teacher, and this is who I am, and this is what I do. I'm also a Christian. Well, I may try to figure out how I can plug in a little Christian here and there. But what he's talking about here, the focus of our minds and our hearts ought to be, no, no, no. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Christ. I am inseparably united with him. He has made me a school teacher. And so how does a, how does a Christian teach school? What is a Christian's attitudes about his students or her students? What is the, you know, Christian, do you see the difference? We could go back and talk about my auto mechanic, right? Auto mechanic. Okay, someone a mechanic and they happen to be a Christian, or are they a Christian who is also a mechanic? You see, if you see your identity as I am a Christian, and how do I now approach being an auto mechanic because I'm a Christian? You see, you see what I'm trying to say? Is this making sense? Okay, applies to pastors too. I could see myself as a pastor. And oh yeah, I'm a Christian too. <laughs> but I say, no, no, I'm a Christian. I'm in separate united with Jesus and, and I'm also a pastor. He's made me a pastor. So it, if this relationship true, it only makes sense that I would be a pastor this way, okay? And so I, this is what he's talking about, I think, when he says, putting your mind on things above. All right, so the next section here, he talks about because of this inseparable relationship we have with him, that you need to remove things that are inconsistent with your relationship with the Lord. You need to remove things. Okay, so let's look at the list. Verse five, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth. And again, he's talking about these things that are part of your life. They're members of your life. Some of it needs to go, and it doesn't just need to go. It needs to be what? Put to death. This needs to be a permanent thing It needs to go. And boy, we struggle with that. But that needs to be our intent and the desire of our hearts and how we make choices. Put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, that is just sexual immorality of any kind. Uncleanness, this is impurity. Passion, this is like passion out of control. Um, yeah, just passion that rules your life. Passion about really anything other than your relationship with Christ. Evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. This idea of covetousness, coveting is where you have this inordinate desire for things or maybe a particular thing. And, and you have this desire to the point where you are willing to disobey God to have this or use it or enjoy it. I'm, I'm willing to set aside God 
for this. And therefore that takes God's place in your life and that is called a what? An idol. So that's the way he describes covetousness, which is idolatry. And he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So this is the kind of thing God judges. It's going to judge in the people who, who reject him. So why would, does it make sense for it to be a part of your life if, if this is the kind of thing God's gonna judge of the unsaved? No. And then he says, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in. Here's the point, you used to be that way. On the inside, you used to be that way. He's changed you on the inside. He is inseparably united with him. These things don't belong. They need to go. And this is just a partial list. I'm sure we can come up with our own list. Uh, he, he continues, verse eight, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, put off anger. And, and the Bible doesn't say that anger is sin. It says our anger uh, not submitted to God is sinful. When anger's about me and I'm not getting my way and my rights. He said that kind of thing has to go, okay? Uh, wrath, that's it, that explosive anger, that losing of the temper that, that so hurts people. Malice, it's evil intent toward people. Blasphemy, that's where we talk lightly of the things of God. Filthy language out of your mouth. By the way, let me encourage you. And it's just part of our day and age when we do, but let me encourage you when you decide to, on, on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you are, and you decide to share a post or something from it, I'm amazed at how many times there is terribly crude language Boom, big letters on the post. And I get why you share, share because what it's saying, but that's not Christian. He says, what, that ought to what? Well, that wasn't out of my mouth, that was out of my fingers. Okay, we get it, right? It doesn't belong. We as Christians ought not to be having that language be part of our, our lives. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Again, see, that old man, you died, and you're, you're trying to put him away, and you put on the new man. Okay, so he's changed you. Uh, let me give an, an idea, an illustration. If you are inseparably united with Jesus, and we're talking about things that are inconsistent with that, putting them off, right? It's like taking off, like this doesn't belong anymore, right? Okay. I want you to think about this. You're inseparably united with Jesus. So what does that mean when the very first one on the list, fornication, sexual immorality, what does that mean when you allow sexual immorality into your life? Is it just you? No, who's there with you? Who's there with you? Jesus, because you are inseparably united with him. Is that where you want to take him? I mean, I want to think about this a bit. Think about back when you were a teenager, an older teenager, maybe, you know, getting close to moving into adulthood. How would you have felt if your mother was with you every moment of your life at that time in your life? How awkward would that have been? Right? Places you went, things you did, things you said. You wouldn't want your mother there. Well, I think we ought to start maybe feeling a little bit awkward about the fact that we're taking the Lord Jesus there. Okay? Think about that. He's always present with you. Okay. So we get down to verse number 12, and we see this. Because you're inseparably united with Jesus, it makes sense 
for you to add things that are consistent with your relationship with Jesus. It just makes sense to add certain things. And again, I don't think this is an exhaustive list, it's an example list. Verse 12, he says, therefore as the elect of God, meaning we've been chosen by God because we receive Christ, everyone who has received Christ is now chosen by God. Therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, that's how he described it, we are holy. The moment you got saved, did you become holy, holy? Would you describe your life as holy all the time? No, but are you holy? If you've inseparably united with Jesus, you are now holy. Where? Deep down inside where that flame is now burning. Holy. You are beloved. Then he says this. Put on tender mercies. This is the idea of being compassionate toward people. Compassionate like Jesus was. Kindness. This is, we know what it means to treat people kindly, don't we? Kindness in our words. Kindness in our attitudes. Kindness in our actions. Humility. This is where we think of ourselves accurately the way the Lord says we are. Uh, not more highly of us than we ought to. Meekness. This is where we don't demand our rights, but we, we just chill. Trust God about them. We're not demanding people. And, and then long-suffering, being patient. And um, so there's things that we just need to add to our lives. These things are good for you. Do you know that everything that Jesus tells you ought to go out of your life is bad for you? Otherwise, he doesn't, wouldn't tell you to get rid of it. It's bad for you. Then the things that are good for you, add these things. It just makes sense, doesn't it? This is, I mean, this is not that, if you can get a hold of being inseparably united with Jesus, the rest of this stuff just makes sense. Okay? And then he kind of turns a corner here, I think, and he really starts talking about how we get along with each other. I'd get along fine with everybody if it wasn't for everybody. <laughs> right? He says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. And um, before I actually start talking about it, here's the point. Because we are inseparably united with Jesus, it just makes sense to be united with others who share that relationship with you. Because think about this. If I'm inseparably united with Jesus and you're inseparably united with Jesus, what's that mean for you and me? Somehow we're connected, aren't we? We're connected. And so it makes sense for me to figure out how to get along with you and vice versa. And I think that's probably a harder job for you than it is for me because of me. All right, I don't have a stop before I get myself in deep. Bearing with one another. Have you noticed that sometimes you just have to put up with people? Do you? Okay. Now, understand this. If you're experiencing sometimes I've got to just put up with these people, guess what? There are people who are putting up with you. True? You're probably married to each other. I know how this goes. <laughs> But it's certainly beyond that, right? It's in our relationships. And there are people who rub us the wrong way. There are people who are, come from such different backgrounds than us and we just don't see eye to eye. And he says we need to bear with one another. And, and if that was the end of the story, that would be kind of a bleh relationship. He says no, bearing with one another and doing what? And forgiving one another. That's, say, I'm not holding this against you. 
If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But this person doesn't deserve it. Neither did you. True? You and I did not deserve to be forgiven by Christ, but he forgave us. Forgive each other the same way, not because they deserve it, but because you're becoming more like Jesus. You're inseparably united with him, and you're slowly but surely conforming your life to him. And then he says, but above all these things, and I was overarching this idea of bearing with them and forgiving one another, uh, long-suffering with each other, above all of these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's that which is going to, to flow over and fill in the gaps and you know, make it all work. And he says, put on, it's, it's kind of like an overcoat. So you have this on, and if I had an overcoat, I could put this on over the whole thing. And that's what he's talking about with love here. Um, and I'm really talking about church. Let's go on. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. <laughs> Have you ever found yourself, as he describes it, with a complaint with somebody else and not had peace in your heart? You have a little war path in your heart? He says, no, no, you gotta let that go. Have the peace of God rule there. You know, you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ, we ought to be able to deal with any issue that comes between us. Because if I love you and you love me, as Christ talks about, and we're willing to follow his instructions, yeah, we're gonna get rubbed the wrong way, it's gonna be hard, we're gonna have to work through it, but the idea is I'm leaning into you and you're leaning into me. And I don't mean like this, right? But we're leaning into each other because we, we do love each other, we do value each other. And when all is said and done, we might still disagree. We might even have to go separate ways. But we go separate ways in a way that if we run into each other or think about each other, we have the peace of God there and we're not at, at odds and we aren't, I can wish God's best in your life. You know what I mean? We're not talking about people that you see, you see them at a store and you go, oh, you turn away and I don't want to see that person. Has anybody ever done that? No, it's where you can see that person and you, you walk and say, how are you doing? It's good to see you. See, that's the way we're supposed to live with each other. And by the way, if we don't live like that in the church, Satan will absolutely figure out how to dismantle and divide us. And if we aren't gonna do what God says, the Lord will step back and let it happen. See how important this is? This matters, and we don't have to agree on everything, but we do need to do this. All right, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Again, this idea when coming together, worshiping together, and as I said, when, and we were singing today, and at that one point, they said, so, so teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way. And I said, thank you, Lord. Just a reminder that when these temptations come, I, I'm going to try uh, this very week. When temptation comes to, I'm gonna sing. So you show up to church and see me walking around singing, and you say, man, he must be tempted. Now, not necessarily. <laughs> But I'm trying to say is that's, that's, a, that's a response. That's something that the Lord, as we worship together, you guys singing those words with me, and it, it Lord spoke to my heart. And he, can, he will do that with us. And whatever you do, okay, so this idea of being united. Verse seven, uh, of 17 is kind of a summary. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do. (laughs) You know, so we have this inseparable union with Jesus. And it just makes sense then to make your whole life about him. Whatever you do. Everything in your life. Anything in your life. Do it in the name of Jesus. What a great guideline for making decisions in your life. It's, I'm having faith decision. If I do this, can I do this in the name of Jesus? Can I attach Jesus' name to this and hold that out for everybody to see? If you can, do it, right? So, so um, do you think that you can work hard to get ahead in life in the name of Jesus? Yeah, absolutely you can. Okay, go do it. Uh, Do you think that you can um, really work on your relationship with the family and spend time doing things with your family in the name of Jesus? Yes, okay, yes. The answer is yes. Can you um, have a hobby in the name of Jesus and pursue it in the name of Jesus? Sure you can. Hobbies can be great things, very relaxing things, even profitable things. Uh, How about getting involved in your community in in some meaningful and helpful way? Can you do that in the name of Jesus? Okay. Can you watch the Patriots in the name of Jesus? I think so. Again, it's, it's part of our recreation, right? Something we do and enjoy. Have fun. God is for that. Now, what if you can't do it in the name of Jesus? Whatever it is, don't do it. There's your guideline, right? So, I mean, can, can you blow off worship with your church? Yeah, I, just, I don't know, I just feel like doing it. I'm gonna do something different today. Can you, can you do that in the name of Jesus? No. Can you spend the money that God told you to give in the name of Jesus? No. Can you view pornography in the name of Jesus? Can you get drunk in the name of Jesus? Lie? I mean, you know, right? and a lot of these things are real clear, but even when they are, you say, wait a minute, can I really do that in the name of Jesus? And, and we aren't in Romans, but in Romans 14, I would say to you that if you find yourself saying, I don't know if I can do that in the name of Jesus, Romans 14 says, don't do it. Because whatever you can't do in faith is sin. All right? So if we're in separate united with Jesus, this really gives us a guideline for life. It just makes sense to have our whole lives be about him. And so, we need to live like it, don't we? It just makes sense. Now, we understand now that when we came to Christ, that moment we received Christ as Savior, and if you haven't done that, I encourage you, just say, oh God, that's me you're talking about. I need to do that. And talk to us. We'd love to help you with that. But what happens is so profound when we receive Christ as Savior, so deep, such a radical change deep down inside of us that it only makes sense to live that way. And when we don't, we experience what I would call dissonance. In other words, here's who I really am inside and this that I'm doing here on the outside or even just in my thoughts doesn't match. And when that happens, there becomes this it's a tension, it's a dissonance that this isn't as opposed to harmony, okay? Let me see if I can demonstrate to you here. All right, um, 
So dissonance is, is things like this. Okay, so dissonance, that's lovely, isn't it? And so here I am. I am a, a believer in Christ. I'm inseparably united with him. And something happens, and, and maybe you do something stupid, and I get angry, and then I say, I'm going to stay angry, and... And I know it's not right. Okay, but I feel this dissonance. And what I got to do is, is, is turn to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, forgive me for that. That isn't right. I'm going to love my brother. See that? Right? We get the harmony, don't we? Not. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is what happens to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. If you go against yeah, you live in a way that does not make sense, does not follow from your relationship with him, that you've got this dissonance in your life. And we don't like that, do we? Now, one thing you've got to be careful as a Christian, because what if you just keep doing it? And one day this sounds what to you? Normal, or you don't even listen anymore. Bad news. Okay, that's not a good place to be. Another thing I'm concerned about is this, that if you can... Okay, here's this person. They, they did something stupid to me, and I'm, now I'm going to hold a grudge against them. Okay, and I'm, I don't know. I, I may get them back. Look out. And it seems like this in your life. Ooh, I'm going to get them back. You know, I, you know what I, my concern is? Is that you don't have Jesus. I would say to you that if you can live your life day in and day out doing things that the Bible says you're not supposed to do, not doing things the Bible says you should do, and you feel okay about that. I wouldn't count on a prayer I said as a child to get me to heaven. We need a faith that goes to Jesus and inseparably unites us with him and puts his flame of life in us so that Whenever we go against these things that we experience, this dissonance that tells us what? Oh, you're off track. You need to turn back. It just makes sense. So evaluate where you're at today in your life. If you don't know Jesus, if you know how to receive him, do it. If you don't, please ask. We will help you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you did for us in Jesus. So much better than we knew, so much more than we expected, Father. And you're still teaching us and you're still showing us. Thank you for what you've shown us from your word today and then that what, what it ought to mean in our lives. And Father, help us to really evaluate ourselves honestly and see where we're at. And maybe, Lord, to some here will realize, you know what, I don't think I've ever had that change that we're talking about. And I pray, Father, that they would, from, just from their hearts, turn to you and say, Oh, God, I, I receive Jesus as my Savior now. That you change him forever. If they need help, I pray they'd reach out, Lord. And I pray for the Christian who is here today, Father, who is realizing that they've kind of got used to that dissonance. And, but I pray, Father, you'd break their hearts and that they would humble themselves before you this day. And let you change their lives again. 
We want to honor you, Father. And I thank you for those here today who are walking in this day in, day out, trying to live these truths out. Lord, strengthen them, encourage them, give them hope, give them a vision for it, give them excitement in it. Honor and bless them for it, Father, as they honor and glorify you. We want to be a church, Father, that uh, experiences the reality and shares it with each other. I pray it in Jesus' name.